So it's argued that uh, this passage that we get to look at is maybe the most well-known passage in all of Scripture, not just because a lot of Christians know it, but actually a lot of non-Christians know it and will use it. The first three words of our gospel reading today, our teaching today, do not judge. These words, in a sense, by a number of uh, non-Christians has kind of become a little bit of a mantra of our culture for the last several decades uh, in, a, in a godless society that doesn't want God, doesn't feel like they need God, that has done away with God. The only sin today is basically to tell someone that they're sinning, that what they're doing is wrong, and this passage seems to serve as ammunition to defend such kind of living, and I think you, you probably know how this goes, right? Person A does something maybe morally questionable. Person B calls them out on that, but person A then throws this passage out there, hey, don't judge. Jesus himself even said, don't judge or you too will be judged. Person B, feeling like, well, they're now in the morally worse position because person A seems to have the moral high ground and anyone who disagrees with them is intolerant, unloving, and they just kind of walk away thinking that Jesus has given them this high five and, and they won, mic drop, and they're out. And you know how something, if it gets said long enough and often enough, that it just kind of seems to be assumed that it's true, right? That's kind of what's happened with this phrase. Um, it's been said so long and so often that essentially uh, it's kind of become a joke with people. Uh, when, when someone finds out your guilty pleasure, like uh, a grown man who listens to Justin Bieber, and then what's the response? Hey, don't judge. Don't judge me. Don't, don't, don't go there, right? Or maybe uh, you know the workouts gym, Planet Fitness, and they make this their motto that seems to be really attractive. We are a judgment-free zone. Oh, that seems very nice. It seems very accepting, very loving, right? We've got popular music artists decades ago, Tupac, if you don't know him, that's okay. And, and more currently, Miley Cyrus, if you don't know her, that's okay too. But both of them in their song lyrics saying, hey, remember, only God can judge you. Only God can judge you as if it's kind of a way to give you a license to live however you want, because in the end, it doesn't matter. God's the one. So don't, don't worry about what anybody says. And it seems like it's the ultimate mic drop. That there's nothing you can say, because doesn't Jesus himself say that? But the problem with this interpretation of these words is twofold. First, there's a logical problem. It, it's, it in and of itself is self-defeating, Right? Like, if, if someone says, hey, don't judge, don't judge me, you're being judgmental, you know what that is? Yeah, judging. <laughs> like, if person A says to person B, hey, don't judge, you're judging me, don't be judgmental, person B should say, but aren't you judging me for judging you? Like, it tur turns out everybody judges. Like, when you say to someone, don't judge, you're making a judgment against that person, it, it logically is defeating it doesn't make sense, and to borrow some wisdom from Indigo Montoya, from The Princess Bide, if you know that movie, um, I don't think that verse means what you think it means. And more than just logic, more importantly, and more to the point, Jesus himself 
proves that that interpretation is not what he meant. Did he say these words? Yes, very much so. But then, if you go to verse 6, you notice what Jesus is doing? He's making a judgment about his opponents. And then if you were to open your Bibles and just go a few verses after this, you would notice that then he later on calls some of his enemies false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing. That, that sounds like a judgment to me. And then, and then later on in Matthew chapter 10, he's going to send out disciples and he's going to tell them to make judgment calls as they go and preach and share the good news. And he says, if you come to a town that rejects the good news, you know what you're to do? You're to shake off, wipe off the dust from your sandals in judgment to that town. So if logic tells us everyone judges, and if Jesus himself judges and tells his followers to judge, what in the world does this mean? What does Jesus mean when he says, do not judge? And that's what we're going to be dissecting today and diving into today. Not just so that you can know better the the full truth of this teaching, but more to the point so that you can live it out. That you don't live out a half-truth, but a full truth in its goodness and purity. And we're going to break this teaching down into essentially four parts here. We're going to first look at the standard of judging. We're going to look at the who, the who we're to judge. We're going to look at the attitude that we're to have with judging. And finally, we're going to look at the goal of judgment. The standard, the who, the attitude, the goal. First, the standard. Jesus starts out and he says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, as Jesus starts to explain his own words, you notice that he basically says, Whatever measure, whatever standard that you're going to use to judge someone else, understand that you have to judge yourself by that same standard. So in other words, there is no do as I say, just not as I do. There's no, well, well, this truth applies to you, but it doesn't apply to me. I'm the exception. If you play golf, you know you maybe can hit from different tee boxes or you can have a certain handicap, but in life... We call that cheating, right? We, we call that, that, that is unfair. Jesus himself says, no, if there's a standard, then it has to be universal. It applies to them and him and her and you, every single person. And so I guess the question then is, well, what is that standard? What is that measure that we're supposed to use? And this is church after all. And I'm guessing that you're probably thinking, well, isn't it God's word? Isn't it God's truth that's the standard? And yes, absolutely. So if God himself says it, then we should live by it. We should listen to it. We should hear it. We should, we should measure up to that standard, which then also means if God doesn't say it, then we should not judge anyone by that. We should not judge their moral motives or moral hearts based on something God doesn't say. And you know who was famous in Scripture for breaking this all the time? The Pharisees. Countless times, uh, they went to Jesus and they tried to call him out on stuff that God never said. For instance, uh, there was a time when they called out Jesus' disciples for, for eating 
without washing their hands first. Apparently, they didn't learn that from their moms, right, or their dads, right? And he, they say, Jesus, look at what your disciples are doing. This is disgraceful. This is, this is ridiculous. And you yourself, you're their rabbi. You're their leader. You're just as guilty if you're allowing this. And you know what Jesus basically said to them? Where in God's word does it say that you shouldn't eat before you wash your hands? It, it doesn't. It was a tradition of the elders but they were trying to, to level up the tradition of the elders on par with God's word and use that as the standard. And Jesus says, no. There was another time when Jesus himself healed someone on the Sabbath Saturday. And the Pharisees came after him and said, how dare you? How dare you heal someone on this holy day? And Jesus said, where in the Bible does it say there are six days for healing, but then, oh, on the seventh day, nope, you can't love your neighbor as yourself on the seventh day. In fact, he showed them that the spirit of God's law actually showed him to be right and, and them to be wrong. Like all these man-made rules, all these man-made traditions, they tried to elevate, and Jesus again and again and again pointed to Scripture as the standard of judgment. And I so wish that I could just move right on to the next point. I so wish that the human beings, and especially religious people, do not struggle with this today but they do. For instance, you ever met someone who tells you exactly how long a sermon should be? I've heard this a lot growing up, and I've heard it a lot over the last couple of years. You know, pastor, sermons are supposed to be between 30 and 40 minutes, okay? That's how long sermons are supposed to be. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to try. I'll, I'll do my best. Okay, maybe that's a half-truth. <laughs> maybe... Maybe I've heard something like that. But do you know what God's word says on the issue? Nothing. You ever met someone who says that you have to dress up in your absolute best before you come to worship? Because if you were going to meet the president at the White House, you wouldn't just roll out of bed and, and go there. If you were going to go on a date with someone, you, you want to impress them and make a good impression, well, you would, you would dress up, right? So then the logic makes sense. Well, if you're going to go see God in his house in worship, then you should dress up in your absolute best. Do you know what God says about dressing your best to worship him? Nothing. But do you know what he does say he cares about when you come to worship him? The heart attitude underneath the suit, the tie, the shirt, the dress. Is it possible for someone to come in with a t-shirt, shorts, and flip-flops on and have a heart that is totally ready to praise God, to worship God, and to, and to give him his best? Yeah, that's totally possible. Is it totally possible for someone to be the best-dressed man or woman in their heels and dress and jewelry and suit and tie and have a heart that is looking down on and, and judging every single person for what they wear or what they're doing? And, yep. Same could be said about style of worship, too. I was talking to my dad 
months ago, and he said there's something about when he hears the organ play and some of these songs that we sing in our liturgy that just takes him back to when he was growing up. Those, those songs have not just a, a scriptural theological meaning, but a, a nostalgic connection for him. And there's a beautiful richness in the words and in the lyrics that we sing in a service like this. And that's great. But when I hear people say, but if you bring up a band on stage, and if, if you don't even stand for the gospel reading, and that this is a better form of worship than maybe what we do at our blended services, I open my Bible up and say, where does God say that? Are, are you then assuming then that your, your brothers and sisters who worship at other services are somehow less? That they're not as good and they're not as high in their worship, they don't care as much about God as you do? You know what God says that he prescribed his New Testament Christians to worship in a certain way? Nothing. He, he said, worship me. Worship me with your hearts. That's what I want. So whether it's organ, whether it's band and drums, whether it's new school, whether it's old school, if God doesn't say it, then don't cling to it and, and judge someone. And I could say the same about whether a pastor should wear a robe and a stole or whether he should wear a suit and tie or whether he could even wear jeans and a shirt. I know plenty of pastors who do all of that. I could say the same about church architecture. Should a church look like this with the classic style and, and the steeple outside? Or should it look like more of a modern-day building? Should we have a reredos, an altar, or should we just have a stage and lights? I could say the same about standing and sitting. We could go on and on. If God doesn't say it, then do not use that as a standard to judge. Now, don't get me wrong. We don't change just for the sake of changing. We don't change just for the sake of, well, I want to be like somebody else, nor do we cling to something just because, well, this is the way we've always done it, and so we keep doing it this way. We all grew up in a certain way. We all were influenced by our moms, by our dads, by our upbringings. They taught us some things that's good. But you can't judge someone else's heart based on something you didn't grow up with. You can't judge someone else's motives, a thing that you can't see based on something that you didn't grow up with or something you did grow up with. Jesus says, if you're going to judge, use God's standard, not man's. So now the next part of this is the who. Who are we to judge? And that's where Jesus goes on when he says this. He says, why do you look at a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. Now notice he says brother. And he's not talking about a familial blood relationship there. Every time he talks about brother, almost every time in scripture, he always means like the way we say it today. Like a brother or sister in Christ. Brother or sister in the faith. So he says, who are you to judge? You are to judge those people in the faith. Those people inside the church. And remember our other reading from 1 Corinthians? This is exactly how Paul was understanding it, too. What did he say? He said, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? 
God will judge those outside. Do you see what he's saying? Like, this is not the entire conversation. He's not saying that there isn't a time or place to maybe lament about the current state of affairs in our world. And certainly you can pray for those things. But he says, if, if you as a Christian are pouring all your effort, all your energy, all your focus onto the godless world out there and everything that's going on, he says, what are you doing? Like, you're, you're, you're to be focusing and paying attention on, on correcting and helping those inside the church. And it makes total sense when you think about it, right? Like when someone comes to me and says, oh, I'm just so frustrated that this culture does not share our Christian cultural values. I want to say, of course. <laughs> like if they don't have God, and then why would I expect them to live a godly life? If they're not claiming to be followers of God, then, then I would expect that. It, when, I, when I see things like, oh, here comes another Hollywood video, or, or here comes another song with just worldly messages, and it's just, well, if they don't claim to be followers of Jesus, why should that shock you? Why should that surprise you? You should expect that. What, what, what sense would it make for you to go to your, your neighbor who, who doesn't know God, doesn't believe in God, knock on his door, and say, um, I just wanted to let you know, I have to say this, the way you're living and your lifestyle and the things that you believe and say, you know, here's what God says about it and, he, and here's how God feels about it and it's not good. How do you think that's going to go? A person is probably going to look at you and say, I don't know your God. I definitely don't want to know your God. And for that matter, I don't want to know you. And you have just lost any sort of opportunity to share any sort of good news with that person. He says, the world is out there. The world is just that, the world. They're not inside the church. They don't claim to be Christians. So when it comes to judging, when it comes to your effort and focus, yeah, understand the world. We'll share the good news with them. But when it comes to judging, focus on inside the church. Paul says that, Jesus says that, when your brother or sister, because when those worldly influences come in on someone who claims to be a Christian, who self-identifies as a disciple of God, and yet they're allowing these worldly things to come into their life, Paul, Jesus, God, that's when they say, now you should say something. Like if someone says, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of God, but they're not denying themselves, they're indulging in a sin, if they think, well, it's just a little bit of speck, it was funny, I had a speck of an eyelash in my eye this morning as I was practicing this, and it just paused everything. You, you know how damaging something can be when it gets in your eye. Don't be deceived. And Jesus says, that's when you have to go. And that's when you have to have a, a, a loving conversation with an individual. And I know it's hard, but that's exactly what Paul was dealing with in 1 Corinthians 5, wasn't it? Here's a congregation of people, and here's one person who's doing something that even the world would say, whoa, that is, like, not, even the world would say that's wrong, right? And yet the congregation was doing nothing about it. They said nothing, they were doing nothing, because they said, well, Paul, we're loving this person. And Paul said, what are you doing? You're not loving this person. That's the opposite of love. You're harming this person. You have to say something to this person if you care about them. But I guess a logical follow-up question to that is, well, what if they don't listen? And what if, 
What if they get stubborn? You know, like a kid who just doesn't want to change, and they just dig in their heels, and they just, you know, adult pout in on themselves. Like what? And, and not just a Christian, for that matter, but what if even, a, what if even someone who's not a Christian who, who asks you about what you believe, but then they're just so stubborn and belligerent, and, and they just won't even let you get in a word without objecting? What, what, do you, what do you do when someone's not ready to listen? Well, that's what Jesus said in verse 6. A tough passage, but it makes sense. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Like the sacred thing that he's talking about was most likely meat that was sacrificed at the temple, and that meat was considered sacred. It would either go to the, the Levitical priests or it would go to God himself to be burned up. And he says, you wouldn't take something holy like that and just, here you go, puppy. A dog can't assess the value of that. Same thing with a pearl, right? You wouldn't take a a fine, precious pearl and throw it to a pig that doesn't know the difference between a $50 filet mignon and five-week moldy bread. As long as it's edible, it's going to eat it. And Jesus' point of this analogy is he's not trying to insult and personally offend people, but he's trying to say, "You you have to make a discernment. You have to assess the difference between dogs and hogs and the lost sheep looking for a shepherd. There are some people that you'll go to and they will not be able to assess the value of the gospel. The need for their own forgiveness of sins, the precious sacred pearls of God's truth. And Jesus says if they are stubbornly refusing to listen, if they can't assess that value, then then you have to know when to stop. You have to know when to stop talking, when to share no more truths because they've just dug in. Not because God doesn't want people to be saved. He does. Not because God's word isn't effective. It is. But because their hearts are so hard that they refuse to listen. If you're going to judge, use God's standard. Judge those inside the church. And now we get to the attitude. And here's what he says. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite? Like Jesus starts to explain the attitude and he uses this ridiculous analogy, but it's intended to be ridiculous, right? Like, like if I, I left my plank, my two-by-four at home, hopefully my wife brings it for the other one, so I grabbed the biggest commentary on my shelf, okay? So, so if I have this thing just sticking out of my face and I say, hey, you got something there, let me, how's that going to go? <laughs> like it, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Here, let me help you with that. Let me just get that for you. And I think some of you guys are starting to understand the attitude that Jesus is curbing. The attitude, like sometimes people will come to you and say, hey, let me help you with that thing, but, but you just want to say, who are you? Like, hey, let me help you with that. All the while, they have a whole mess of everything going on in their life, but hey, they care enough about you to help you with your problems. And usually, it doesn't come off with the right attitude, does it? What he's trying to curb is the judgmental, self-righteous attitude that people can so easily have when they come to judging. 
And do you know what self-righteousness is? Churchy lingo, sometimes uh, we don't always get the best. I I love one pastor's definition of it. He says, self-righteousness is the art of being most bothered by other people's sins. It's the fault-finding spirit, right? It's majoring in the problems everybody else has, but minoring in your own. Or maybe you didn't even take the minor class in your own sins because you're just totally delusional and, and blind to the fact that you've got issues. Ever seen a dad yell at their two boys, stop yelling at one another? How's that work? You ever seen a husband and wife have a heated argument that's getting ugly and the husband says to the wife, and you always just try to win the argument as he tries to win the argument? Or maybe the wife quips back, yeah, but then every time you just always have to say the last word, don't you? And she tries to say the last word. You ever seen someone call another person out for their language, the poor choice of words that they probably use? And then they go right back to a thread, a text thread, an email thread, or just conversation that's just filled with all but gossip, every single thing. Or someone comments to you and says, hey, that was a poor joke, poor taste especially in today's world. But then they go on and reposting the political arguments on Facebook or Twitter, the political article that bashes the president, bashes the the other party. It's the person who rolls their eyes at someone else's bad theology. But they themselves are not even living up to God's good theology. It's the person who is hypercritical of the church or something that they did or that specific church and something that, you know, was maybe less than biblical that was done. But they themselves are doing nothing to feed their faith. They're doing nothing to enhance their relationship with God. So we, we magnify we put underneath a microscope and examine all day long major in other people's sins, but just turn a blind eye to our own. Every one of us, by nature, we come to church with a confirmation bias, with selective listening, praising the vast passages that we do well and, and ignoring the passages that we don't. And Jesus says, when you do that, people get hurt. Because again, if, if I come up to you with a plank in my eye and I say, hey, I'm, I'm going to help you out there, what, what's going to happen? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm losing all my depth perception and I'm probably going to go in and I'm probably going to smack you around a bunch and, and I'm going to hurt you. Like, like, we'll never be able to have this productive conversation until I deal with my plank. And that's what Jesus himself says. He says, first, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And everything builds right to this, the goal. Jesus says, if you want to help your brother or sister, you first have to help yourself. 
If you want to help them remove the speck, you first have to master yourself and get rid of the plank. You have to deal with your own mess. You have to deal with your own sins. You have to examine your life and look at what you have done or haven't done. And I'll tell you what, that is a humbling thing. If not just on Sunday morning, but every single day, you go through your own personal confession, absolution, and you take inventory of what you did to your spouse, to your kids, exasperation, the anger, the impatience, the, the complaining, the lazy. And, and when you start doing that, oh, that is humbling. And it's meant to. It's meant to whittle down your pride. But you don't just stay there. That's not the goal for yourself. You know what the goal is? Not just to recognize your own behavior, but to take God's grace and cover all of it and say, this is me, and yet God's grace is even greater than my sins. And when you do that, that is the only way to curb and kill the self-righteous, hypocritical, judgmental attitude in you. And when you bring yourself to the goal, and then, Jesus says, you'll be able to help your brother, your sister, with their speck. You don't just go to someone just to say, hey, knock off the behavior. That's behavior modification. The world can do that. But the goal is always, always, always getting them to where you came to. God's grace. To not just cause the, call them out and say, hey, you need to change. But to lead them to God's grace. You know what God wants? He doesn't want just to change behavior. He wants a heart to know his grace. And to the degree that you understand the grace that's been given to you, oh, to that same degree, you will show love and charity and grace to another person, and you will go to them with the right attitude, not poking and not prodding, and it's as an eye. You've got to be gentle. You've got to be careful. You've got to be loving. You've got to be delicate. Jesus says the Christian's calling here is to judge. Only after they judge themselves. To help out your fellow man, your fellow sister. And you don't think less of them. You don't look down on them. You're not ashamed of them. You don't embarrass them. But you love them. Jesus says don't judge harshly. Judge humbly. Because that's how he judged you. Like, you're God. Left heaven. Not with a plank of wood in his eye, but with two beams in the form of a cross that he died on. Taking on all the sin, all the hypocrisy, all the judgmental attitudes that you and I have had, not even judging someone according to God's standard, ignoring their sins, he took the, the countless sins onto himself. And what did he do that for? So God would judge him guilty, condemn him to hell so that he could judge you innocent. Not guilty. Bang. That's God's judgment of you. And when you ponder that grace every single day, 
that is going to lead you to go to your brother, go to your sister, so that when you approach them, they're not going to see some hypocritical, judgmental jerk, but instead all they are going to see when they look at you is Jesus coming out of your words and through your actions. Amen.